Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we are interviewing Jeff Schechter, better known as Shecky, and Jack Gibson, of high return real estate. And we're going to be talking today about the beginner's guide for how to replace your income with a real estate portfolio. If you're just getting started, this is a fantastic episode for you. And if you are already a seasoned veteran real estate investor as well, you are going to have some great gold nuggets. So I'm pleased to introduce you first to my co-host, Bruce Wainer. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. You know, one of the things I talk about all the time is the quality of our guests and one of the things I like about Shecky and, and Jack is that, uh, you know, they're relationship driven. You know, I, I feel like we're, um, they're kind of like part of the family now as we've had them on the podcast, we've been on their podcast. And I think what people need to know when they're vetting out things is that it's not just about the money. It's not just about the structure. It's about, because not every deal goes perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about how you roll with those deals and you can only roll with those deals. If you have a good relationship with the, that person, you know, who's responsible. So when you can look those people in the eye, you know that you have a relationship with them. You can work things out. That's not necessarily the theme of our country right now, but at least I think we can build it within our little community right here. Oh, Bruce, that's beautiful. Very, very well said. So without further ado, welcome Jeff Schechter, Shecky to the show. We're going to refer to you as Shecky from here on out. Shecky, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. And thanks for your kind words, Bruce. That's great. And Jack, good morning and welcome to the show as well. Thanks for having me back. This is quite an honor to be back again. I know. So actually, Jack, you've been on the show before. We will make sure that we link this particular episode in Facebook and in the show notes over to your interview that you did where you shared your story and your journey into real estate and then also what really high return real estate is all about and what you guys are doing with your investments there. And so today what we want to do also is jump into, we want to hear Shecky's background and your story and how you came to be together known as high return real estate and what you guys are doing together and then really branch into this idea and answer the question of if you're just getting started in real estate, you're about to buy your first property, all your ducks are in a row. How do you know your ducks are in a row? And how do you make sure that you're making the right steps and move forward without that hesitation? So getting started in real estate investment with the ultimate end goal of replacing your income with asset-based income or cash flow, cash flowing assets, or you could call it passive income, if you will, as well. And then we want to just find out any cool projects you guys are working on as well at the end. So the other thing I do want to mention before we jump into the interview is that we always have every conversation fits in the cash flow system. So first, the first foundational element is getting your mindset right and keeping as much of the money you make as possible. And then you're protecting that money with investment, I'm sorry, with insurance and estate planning and all of your asset protection. And then you're making that money do more for you by investing in the right investments so you can produce cash flow and ultimately build that time and money freedom. So go ahead. We're going to go ahead and jump into the conversation today. So Shecky, can you tell us just a little bit about your background, how you got interested and, um, and knowledgeable about turnkey real estate in the first place? Yeah. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and um, back in probably the 1980s, I'm dating myself a little bit. I 
did what was is now called house hacking. They didn't even have a term for it back then, but I uh, would buy a kind of a crappy house and live in it and fix it up to certain standards and live through the, the BS of the construction zone. And after living in it for a couple of years, I obviously created some forced appreciation and then I would sell it off and move on to the next one. And I, I did that, you know, four or five times between the late eighties and mid nineties. And, you know, it, it wasn't anything that got me rich, but it, it got me a, a taste for the understanding of how things work and better understanding of construction and real estate markets and things like that. Um, and then I went on to do a, a number of other businesses. And then in the mid 2000s, around 2005 or so, I ended up, um, I had sold off another company and was looking for something to do and went into the flipping business with a guy that I knew down in San Antonio. I was living there then. And um, as you can imagine, that did not end well. Um, I was, you know, got into it shortly before the big crash in 08 and 09. And there was a lot of mistakes made there in terms of that business structure. And to, you know, further put an asterisk on what Bruce said, you know, just being understanding of who you're doing business with. So uh, there were, uh, you know, some poor choices on my part there. And I pretty much got my ass handed to me on a silver platter mm. and started fresh and ended up 80 miles up the road in Austin, Texas, because I was very curious about internet marketing and digital marketing and the psychology behind that stuff. And at the time, uh, the, the internet was, you know, e-commerce and things like that were really starting to gain some traction. And I was really curious about that. And ultimately, uh, after a few different projects, I ended up working with a buddy of mine uh, who had a Facebook ad agency, really great guy. And I learned a lot about it, but I also saw that uh, he was giving away a lot of free advice. And I ultimately talked him into opening up a coaching and consulting division of that business, which I ultimately ended up running. And okay. so we were, we were teaching other business owners how to gain traction online. Um, and one of my favorite students was a guy named Jack Gibson, who happens to be on this podcast. That's and awesome. Yeah, Jack and I had never met in person, but we had a, a really, really great relationship. And I was actually helping him with his other business. Uh, it had nothing to do with real estate. Uh, unbeknownst to me, he was actually buying some properties in Indianapolis from, at then, what was called a turnkey operation, or what we thought was a turnkey operation. And for those of you who don't really know what that means, it just means it's a company that's doing the hard stuff for you. They're acquiring the property, they're rehabbing the property, they're making sure it's tenanted and performing, and then you're essentially buying a performing asset. And it's a, we can get into that later, it's a really, really great way to uh, get your feet wet in real estate. But um, he was having some really good luck, supposedly, or so he thought with the people that he was doing business with. And uh, they were paying him some referral fees. And he reached out to me and he's like, dude, I'm, you know, referring friends and families and making some nice commissions and things seem to be going really well. But I don't think the company that I'm buying from is really anything special. I feel like there's really some opportunity here to have a, another business. I'm thinking of starting another company doing something like this. And I really just want your opinion. I want your marketing brain. And so I was like, hey, man, you know, you're like one of my favorite students. So they're like, there's no charge for the call. We're not going to call it. 
billable hours or anything like that. Let's just get on the phone and brainstorm. So that's what we did. We booked an hour and, and the energy was just fantastic on that call at, you know, many, it was probably a two and a half, three hour call. And oh, nice. uh, a lot of really great ideas came out of that because Jack and I, although we have different strengths and weaknesses, you know, really think a lot alike in terms of opportunity and growth and scaling and that sort of stuff. And so just as a courtesy, I typed up my notes because with all my little lefty chicken scratching, if I didn't type it up right then, I probably wouldn't even be able to read my writing the next day. So I typed up the notes and sent them off to Jack just as a courtesy, like, here you go. And um, the very next day, I get back an email going like, great, let's do it. And of course, you know, I'm calling him up going like, dude, WTF, let's do what? And he goes, no, I I really, I want you to be my business partner. You know, like I, 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 I respect your work ethic and, uh, you know, you're the marketing guy and, you know, you have certain strengths that I don't and I have responsibilities with this other business, but there's a really big opportunity. So that was the, the seeds of how we got started. And um, there, there's been a lot of evolutions, obviously, to our company since then, but it really just started from a, a brainstorming phone call. And, uh, you know, it's awesome. have to be something really special. I love seeing the collaboration that happens when great minds come together. And you guys absolutely exemplified that with a two and a half hour call. So Jack, can you share then from your perspective as you were coming into this, hey, this might be an awesome business idea. What were your strengths that you were bringing to the table? What were Shecky's and how did that well, we mesh st- together? We still haven't really figured out what my strengths are. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of the hardest yeah. questions ever. You know, um, <laughs> Well, we can pivot to something else. It's fine. I mean, (laughs) you guys each have separate roles in high return real estate and, and what, what does that look like? Okay. So strength wise, you know, I'm, I'm definitely aggressive. So I'm going to, what do they call it? Fire, uh, ready, and then aim. Yeah. So I I, I do. That's how I, okay. okay. And that, you know, it serves. I kind of caught that from the way that you said, let's do this. Yeah, It serves me well in terms of, (laughs) I'm not scared to take on, you know, opportunity. Um, I don't have the fear a lot of times holding me back. And there's times where it would have been great if I would have had a a little bit of fear to prevent me from making some really dumb decisions, right? So it's a great strength. It's a great weakness at the same time. Um, I'm really good, you know, building relationships and and creating capital. Um, I can raise capital pretty pretty easily, I would say. I wouldn't say it's easy, but I mean, you know, I, I can definitely... I can definitely do that in my wheelhouse. Um, good, great at sales. I can create a vision for something and and then work tirelessly, relentlessly toward it. You know, organizationally, I'm not I'm not very strong like on processes and details and organization. So I saw that in Shecky, and you know that I knew that we would make a great partnership. But, and I, you know, it was fun. I was in an entrepreneurial group meeting where we were talking about the, the concept of partnerships came up and. Somebody quoted Dave Ramsey that said, any partnerships like a ship, eventually it's going to sink. And I, I said, well, you know what? I've had one for four years and ours are, our, our partnership is incredible. And they're like, well, why? And I thought about it. And then I'm like, you know why it's great? It's because we have shared values. So anytime conflict, mm-hmm. well, you know, external awesome. pressures come on us or, or we have conflict that we need to resolve, we have shared values so we can work through those together and not have like this long standing like feud that's building up to where a lot of partnerships, it just becomes the the problem I think is like one person's putting in 
this amount of effort and one person's putting in this amount of contribution and oh well it's not 50 50 and like if you run a marriage that way where you keep score who's doing what right how well is that gonna work so the same thing has to happen in a business partnership is you can't keep score of who did what you just both got to be all in and working together towards the um, ultimate outcome and that's what we've been able to do together and that's why it's worked well we were not anticipating that bonus awesome uh truth moment there about partnerships but i think that's really important so if you are in business with anyone. I'm in business with my spouse as well as with Bruce. And then we have team members as well. So, I mean, this is valuable for anybody in business in any scope that you have people that you really need to make sure you have that shared value system. And I would say, make Mm. sure you communicate it. I think all too often we might think we all have the same values, but we don't communicate them. So um, thank you for that um, wisdom. Jack, I had a client once tell me that equal is not always fair. That's good. And, and yeah. And what he, he meant was that um, like in Rachel and I's case, we don't, we're not always trying to figure out who's working the same amount, so on and so forth, because, you know, I know Rachel and Lucas have some strengths that I don't have and I have wisdom uh, that they don't have. So does that mean that I have to work the exact amount of time? Mm-hmm. No, because I've worked all these years to gain wisdom, you know, to pass along in this sure. business venture um, together. And it's like, it's like people, I'm sure they, they question this when you guys sell real estate. Sometimes people say, well, how much are you making off of that? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You guys are making X and you're only doing this transaction and we've only, it's only been two hours and well, no, you're not paying me for that transaction. You're, t- you're paying for all those years yeah. of experience that I have. You know, it's not about the hourly right. transaction. And that's what I think people have to realize when they're in a partnership is equal is not always fair. It's about what, that, that, um, what people bring to the table for that and in, in as far as their, um, their wisdom. Uh, in their particular so, value system. So, so I actually here, have a question. Oh, go ahead, Jack. I was I, just going to say, here's a great example of that. No, that's, and that's a great point, Bruce. So you look at our partnership, okay? So Shecky was living in uh, Austin, like, you know, dream city. <laughs> I mean, right. who wants to move from Austin to Indianapolis? And in all reality, mm-hmm. nobody, okay? So, but he said, look, I'll move to Indianapolis because I need, we need one of us to be boots on the ground to meet with investors, to do tours, to kind of oversee the operation. And I'm like, I agree, I can't do it. I have a family, we can't, I can't uproot them, my wife wouldn't sign off, all of that, right? So, but I brought the capital to the game. So he brought something to me that was more valuable than bringing the capital. He mm. brought the, the willingness to move to, to a city. So, and how do you, how do you make a, a judgment call about the equation of whether it's fair or not? Mm-hmm. We can't, and there's there's not fair to either of us to even try to do that. We both know that we're all in, we're 100 percent committed, and we have the same we have the same outcome, the same goals that we're looking to create. And so, that is what it is. That's awesome, and I, I'm gonna. I feel like I see this bridge to another question that I want to ask you guys. So I'm gonna have you just talk about what high returns real estate does, and the the bridge from what we we're just talking about is that. When you now are an investment provider, you're providing turnkey real estate to investors who want to buy a single family house in the Indianapolis area, and you guys can talk about all of these elements. What 
is the value that you guys are bringing to the table because now any investor could just go out and buy a property themselves. And you mentioned they could acquire the property, they could fix it up, they could find their own tenants, they could go through the whole entire process themselves, but you guys are doing all of that for them and there is a value to that. So you guys make a profit as a company, otherwise there would be no reason to have high return real estate. You, you're providing a value that is more valuable to that investor that they're not having to go through all those steps, but at the same time is being profitable to you. Can you guys talk about what high return real estate does in a much more um, amazing way than what I just shared? <laughs> Can I take that? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Because so, Bruce, you touched on something too about um, a lot of what we bring is the wisdom of experience. And so our history has been... I mean, I'll just be transparent, checkered. I mean, we've, we've had some really, really, you know, even just as investors and guys that know what we're doing and, you know, look, I had a flipping business. I mean, I, I get how things are supposed to work. But, you know, to be able to go out and develop uh, acquisition relationships and after you buy from, you know, similar entities over and over and you pay cash and you close quickly, you're able to get better deals. Buying in volume, you get better deals. Then having been through a number of iterations of our company and having been through and weeded out probably 20 different crappy contractors that were looking to cut corners and doing all that. And we've got some really, really solid crews now. And, and not just that, but having developed our own internal checklist to the way we do things, which by the way, has got 212 or something different items on it when we go through a rehab. Um, to creating a certain transparency to the way we do things. Like when we looked at some at that previous company that we had aligned with initially, and then through some of our other iterations, we just kept going in a direction where we saw that there were other people in the space doing things that weren't necessarily bad or wrong, but they could be done better. And mm -hmm. so we keep moving in this direction of transparency and saying, okay, great, we're going to do this whole call on a third party inspector when we're done with everything and, you know, rake the property over the coals with a fine tooth comb. Um, and then, of course, as anybody can guess, even the, even the newest of investor understands that you, your property's performance really is a make or break by the property management team that's overseeing that. So, you know, we could do the most, you know, it's like building this fantastic car, right? And you go out and drive that car on crappy roads and don't change the oil and put crappy gas in it. It's not going to be a good car for very long. So it's mm -hmm. the same thing with a property, you know, unless it's managed well, um, it's still not going to perform the way you want it to perform. So again, through various iterations, even including having our own internal property management division and realizing that we could not do it as well as our current strategic partners do it and putting all these things in place. And even when we get to the end of a rehab, as an example, there's a whole nother quality control piece that our property management takes on when they take over. So it's not just, did you do a good rehab, but now let's look and do the whole habitability test. You know, does every door open and close smoothly? What's the water pressure like? I mean, they're looking at it in terms of what the tenant is then going to see, not necessarily what the final pictures look like after a rehab. Those are two different things. So the amount of processes that are gone through before it's delivered to the end investor, that in essence is what the investor is paying for. In our case, thankfully, 
if they, if an investor were to go do this with someone else or do this on their own, I can honestly look you in the eye and go, they're probably going to end up paying more. They may not pay more necessarily upfront in terms of that price right out of the gate, but over time, in terms of performance, they're going to pay more. So we built in a whole lot of amazing economies of scale to the way we do things that are there to serve the investor from a long-term standpoint, not just in terms of you know, what happens today on sale day. Which is just so fascinating because, I mean, you can always look at the numbers and you could say numbers don't lie, but at the same time, they can. And especially in real estate, you can say, well, here's the purchase price. Here's the expected um, rental income. Here's the property management costs and everything else is cash flow beyond that. Well, not necessarily if you don't manage it well and you have a leaky roof that then doesn't get repaired and you have an angry tenant, they move out or they stop paying rent. I mean, there's all kinds of costs that the intangibles then really do impact the numbers where an investor needs to make sure all the intangibles are taken care of so that they can trust the numbers. Yeah, I had a, a little sort of mini argument with somebody at, uh, at a party a while back and, he, and I was explaining to him what we do and he goes, oh, so you guys are just like basically glorified flippers. And, you know, at first I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, that's one way to dice it. But I said, you know, no, not really. I said, you know, we're in the business of putting investors, of putting real estate investors into the best possible highest chances for long-term performance. Nice. That, that's the distinction I made. No, no, whether that guy agreed with me, it's a whole other story, but you know, that's, that, that's the distinction that we make in terms of how we look at our, our business. That's excellent. And I think anybody, <clears throat> wherever they are on their investing journey would understand the value of that, whether they're saying this is my very first property and I'm scared that, things are going to go wrong and it's going to be much more expensive than the numbers say, or whether they're buying their 12th or 40th property and they're in the position of saying, you know, I want somebody else to take this headache off my shoulders so that I can just make sure that the mailbox money happens. So let's kind of walk it back to the very first investment property. You're, imagine you're this, you're, you're about to buy a property, you have the cash, you have the capital, you have your foundation, you, you have done all the things right in your cash flow system. You're keeping as much of the money you make as possible. You have a great saving system. You're protecting that income. Say even you use a privatized banking policy and now you have cash value inside that policy and you're saying, okay, I've got this cash value. I want to put it to work. I know investment property is the next thing for me. What do they need to be thinking? What is that first step that they need to do to be able to make that leap from I don't own a real estate property to I do own a real estate property? <laughs> uh, pull the trigger, you know? I mean, <laughs> we're, uh, you know, we sell all, all of our properties all cash. So, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, not that we're, we're definitely not against leveraging real estate. In fact, I have multiple loans on, you know, multiple different properties that, that are hold long-term hold. So I very much believe in it. So we just encourage investors to do the, you know, cash out refinance, do the leveraging on the backside instead of on the front. Um, but yeah, they just, uh, you know, properties sell between, you know, 50 to 50 to 90,000. It's a little tougher or a lot tougher, I should say, to get loans. You know, um, there are banks that do it, but it's not, uh, it's not, there's not that many options out there. So we just found for that reason and for hold costs, 
if, if we, you know, it already takes us three months to get a property from acquisition all the way through all the checklists. So now we have to put another three or three or four or five months on top of that waiting for a bank to fund and close, which mm. they usually take a long time. I mean, I just did a refinance and I had to do, I had to provide them 25 pieces of information and I make good money. Like I have great credit. There shouldn't have been, they didn't need 25 pieces of information on me, <laughs> but yet that's, I had to go through it. So everybody else has to go through it. So we, we wouldn't be able to stay in business holding a property for, you know, a project for that long. So yeah, they just have to have the cash and, and pick out a property that, um, you know, makes sense. I mean, we provide uh, everything, like Shecky said, full transparency, before and after pick, scope of work, um, current, you know, in, uh, condition with the uh, third party inspection, checklists of what all, you know, what was done. I mean, they just get, they get everything they can, we can possibly give them. So it's just making a decision and pulling the trigger. Yeah, and if I can put an asterisk on what Jack said too, because I, I think partially what you're asking, Rachel, is is a little bit of a psychological question. Oh, absolutely. And mm -hmm. so obviously there's always that fear of the first one. And we see a lot of investors getting into what we call, or new investors getting into what we call analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Bruce had alluded to earlier, there is – there's a time and place to do that and to analyze, but you also want to be looking at who you're doing business with. You know, mm -hmm. what's the reputation of the people you're buying from? Um, there is also an old uh, saying, you know, trust, but validate. So, you know, are you getting good documentation in terms of third-party inspections? Are you getting good before and after pictures? Are you getting a very thorough understanding of the scope of repairs and what was done to that property? Um, you know, how is that property likely to perform? You know, taking obviously a pro forma and going like, okay, if there were some variance to this pro forma, because there is always going to be, it might perform a little bit worse, it might perform a little bit better, but even if you were extra conservative and said, okay, my expenses will be higher, Etc., and that you know the rent might be a little bit lower, whatever. Is this still a reasonable investment for me? Am I buying it at a price where, if God forbid something happened and I needed to, to have an exit, could I get out of this without losing my shirt? Right? So, mm -hmm. you know, when we prepare properties, we're typically in lower income areas, so it's not like we're looking for this big home run on appreciation. We're getting some, and that's a nice additional bonus. But I think, you know, you, you have to, the investor has to look at that in terms of like, it's almost a holistic approach. It's not just what am I getting, but who am I buying from? All, all the things that I mentioned, because, you know, like Bruce so eloquently said, like, well, there's too many investors just looking at price and, you know, what am I getting for the money? And unfortunately, that does not tell the whole story. It really doesn't tell the whole story, Shecky, too, because I, I find it very frustrating that um, the common U.S. citizen doesn't understand marginal tax brackets. And so if they can't understand marginal tax brackets, they certainly can understand the power of depreciation on your taxes. And so, and right. so even if the cash flow isn't there, you know, you, you – you know, because I, I, I own a couple of real estate properties and I've owned, you know, a dozen over my career. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, is that 
um, you're still you're still cash flowing even when you don't have cash flow coming because of the depreciation aspect of of the real estate pro property. Assuming you got a good CPA and you're doing your books right, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. That's a big that's a big assumption. Which again, it's not that people don't can't understand these things. I think it's that people aren't challenging themselves to become educated outside of their current level of comfort zone. And I think the way to be able to expand the knowledge is to have the desire be there. I think having the desire to say, I really want to become financially free. Well, what does that even mean? That means having assets that provide enough income that you can live without having to have your W-2 job, as Kiyosaki would say. So if that is a thing and people are accomplishing this, then how do I go on that journey? And I think that's the question that people are asking that will then hopefully expand their mind enough to say, hey, let me understand marginal tax brackets. Let me figure out what this depreciation is. And also realize you can't know everything before you start. Otherwise, you'll never get started. <laughs> Go ahead, Jack. What were you going to yeah, say? No, I was just going to say, you know, there's, there's five areas of income, and essentially. I mean, you or, or uh, asset buildup in real estate. It's why it's called the, it's an acronym, ideal investment. You've got the income. The I is income for uh, the cash flow that you're going to get from your rents. Then you got D for depreciation, as you just <laughs> said. That's a, a huge tax. You know, it's a deferral. So remember, everybody has to keep in mind. I think a lot of times we look at depreciation, we're like, oh, it's a, it's just a straight line expense I can deduct now. I mean, eventually you have to recapture depreciation if you sell, or or in some cases you get real smart, right? You can uh, pass it on to your heirs and never pay uh, and never recapture it. A whole different, probably that's a whole different yes. podcast on just on depreciation, right? right? <laughs> um, then there's E is for equity buildup, A is for appreciation, and then L is uh, for leverage. You can leverage the asset. I mean, the banks banks aren't loaning money for stocks. You know, they're not giving you loans to go out and buy um, pretty much any other asset class except for real estate because of the stability of the of the investment. So if you look at there's five major advantages right there that real estate offers that a lot of people don't, they're not looking at all of this stuff. They're just looking at a lot of times, what's the percent on paper? What's this going to give me? 8%? Mm -hmm. 6%? Yeah. Is this like cash on cash return? Does that just make your uh, skin crawl sometimes? Well, yeah. I mean, it's just not telling right. the whole story. I mean, that's just one fifth of the equation. Right. And yet that's the one people that focus on. our investors hold us to, right. right? Like, oh, I didn't hit the cash on cash that you projected. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, we can't project, you know, there's certain variables that are impossible to project vacancy and maintenance. You can't, you can't predict, can't ever predict that. So, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, Bruce, side comment, we actually just removed that metric from our worksheets. Um, Did you? Yeah, Interesting. You know, we just kind of said, Hey, you know, the, the problem is it creates too much focus on that number. I'm not saying it's not a meaningful number. I think it is. It's a benchmark. There's no question. Uh, but we just said, hey, look, you know, in, in general, just sort of the, the first sort of, you know, first blush kind of test for a property is the 1% rule. And, you know, is if a property is hitting the 1% rule, anything over that obviously means it's meaningful to look at. So we're putting that metric on our worksheet and that's it. We removed cash on cash return. We just said, look, here's the expenses. Here's anticipated vacancy rate. Here's the insurance. Here's, you know, all the other expenses that you're going to be incurring. You go make your own assumptions now. I mean, you know, we're almost getting to a point where with the internet being what it is, and there's so much information out there, 
that it, it does get a little bit overwhelming. I understand that. But, you know, to Rachel's point, there's a lot of really great um, education up, out there and many people not necessarily willing to take the education. I mean, you know, leading the horse to water, but them not really willing to drink. So oh, absolutely. Kind of, it was a tough decision internally within our team as to whether we really wanted to remove that metric from our worksheets. But in the end, it's proven to be a very, very good decision because we're just kind of saying, hey, look, horse, take a drink. You know, it's buying the property, take responsibility a little bit for what you're doing. We, we only that. put you in a position of, you know, the best possible scenario for long term, but you still got to pull up your socks and do some of your own due diligence. I love that. So in the um, five minutes that we have for the rest of this episode, let's go ahead. I think I could pull together from everything that you guys shared, what you think is the first step that a beginning investor needs to take, pull the trigger. What would you say the second and the third steps are based on um, either what you've already shared, which maybe is recognizing the value of the asset in terms of those five things that um, Jack, that you mentioned, the ideal investment or maybe it is taking responsibility. I don't want to put words in your mouth, though. What would you guys say is the second and third steps that somebody needs to take if they're going to jump off the cliff and buy that first um, real estate investment? Well, for, for what I would say is that, number one, revel in the experience. Because there is no better teacher than experience. So... Mm you know, look at what's going on over that next few months that you've owned the property. What's the interfacing like with the property management team? And it doesn't mean you, you micromanage your property. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just saying like, just be aware, be cognizant of what's going on. Learn to accept the experience. Learn to accept everything as a learning experience. Stop necessarily judging every little nuance of things that happen as good and bad. You know, right? Like, Okay, so it's so good. up in the middle of the night. Okay, yeah, it's a toilet. It's a you know, it's a hundred dollar charge. It's, it's not. Oh my God, I lost a hundred. It could also be. Hey, thank God, I don't need to replace the entire plumbing system. You know, I mean, it, mm -hmm. there's lots of different perspectives on the same event. So, so that would be number one. And number two is now that you have that experience under your belt, absolutely don't stop and look for ways to scale because nobody's ever going to create any kind of financial independence off of one rental property. I mean, the, the goal is to develop a really nice performing portfolio and look for ways, if you got a good one to start off with, great, how can I replicate that? How can I put the next bit of cash together? How can I leverage this first one to create cash for the second one? You know, whatever it is. So that's when you start getting maybe into a, a, a different area of learning curve is buying the first one is one set of, of understanding. And then scaling is, is a second set of lessons. So oh, that's awesome. you never stop learning. Well, you know, it's interesting that you just packed so much into that. And I feel like everywhere I turn is reminding us that nobody arrives. There is no arrival. There's no perfection. There is this journey of life that we all get the pleasure of living and we may as well enjoy the experience. So I, I'm hearing you loud and clear. And it was, um, you just said, accept the learning. Yeah. accept it as a learning experience. And that's just, I think, profound. I think sometimes we just want things to be perfect and we just want to be at the end and have arrived and have accomplished yeah. and completed. But you're saying, yeah. and I'm hearing, enjoy that journey. Yeah, it I'm, is going to have ups and downs. I would say too, for all the listeners that are looking for perfection, don't get into real estate investing. 
It's yeah. never, ever, ever, ever perfect. Very, very good. So as uh, we're winding down, what's the kind of the new projects that you guys are working on in your high real estate um, uh, return investment? High return, return real, real estate, estate, excuse me. Um, kind of some of the new things you're working on. Well, you know, for our company, I mean, we're, we're still, we're, our number one focus is on continual improvement in the product that we're offering and the product being the quality of the property, the rehab that it goes through, all the, you know, processes, checklists, all the transparency that we show, and then the performance of the property, right? So uh, to a certain extent, I mean, we're turning that over to third-party property management, but, you know, we've vetted, you know, I don't know how many different companies by now to get to the one to where we feel like this is like, this is the one, right? This is our long-term partner. So that's, that's pretty much the primary project like now and probably forevermore. Um, we're really looking at, you know, just as a company insider perspective, we're trying to figure out, okay, how is it that we can leverage all the experiences that we've accumulated over the four, last four years, both good and some very, very bad, um, to leverage that into multiple streams of income? So how can we, you know, be able to create additional sources of cash flow that can sustain our company when for the month, you know, that we don't like sell any properties or only sell a couple that don't cover our payroll. So that's where kind of like the next evolution is, how can we create more value um, in, for the marketplace and for investors and also leverage that into, you know, into, into additional streams of income. And I just got to say for one, uh, one thing that I wanted to share um, in terms of uh, what Sheck he just covered as far as the steps to go, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I was just going to say the most important thing I think for most people in real estate is to stay in your lane. So, in mm. other words, if you're a professional, if you're an entrepreneur, and you're really, really good at that profession, you're really good at that business, then stay hyper focused on that. Scale, continue scaling that. Do whatever you can to make more money in that business, and then take your profits from that instead of trying to go out and figure out how to compete with the full time investors how to keep compete with guys like us or guys like that are better, you know, that are out there that are, you know, they're doing this with 20, 30 years of experience. Find out how you can mm -hmm. leverage off of their experience and invest into them who are then going to go out and find the deals. Like if I had it to do, which is, that's how you do it with, with a turnkey real estate through a company it. like you rather Absolutely. than going in and finding that's it directly. Right. And then, that way you don't have to go through all the trials and tribulations that you're going to have in that steep learning curve, which is going to be very costly mm. to go and figure out how to do it yourself. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I love just your wisdom that you guys are packing into this episode today. And I think it was a really compact episode, but at the same time, just extremely valuable and something that I heard of a long time ago, and I'm not even sure where this came from, but somebody had made a terrible mistake and went back to either a teacher or a mentor and shared that mistake. And they said, I know you're, maybe they went to an investor, might've even been Jay Massey. I don't know. And said, you're probably never going to invest in me again. And they said, now I know that I will invest in you because you'll never make that mistake yeah. again, because you let that experience be the teacher. And I, I'm just, I'm wanting to affirm you guys in that. And then also just realize and recognize for any listeners as well, that that negative experience is equally, if not even more important and more valuable than the positive experiences in terms of becoming the person yeah, you're meant very, to be. Very well said. 
So how do people find you guys and find out more about high return real estate or invest with you or just get to know you guys better? So all of our stuff is on that website, highreturnrealestate.com. Awesome. Uh, we also have a podcast, as you know, and uh, the, uh, we, you've been on the High Return Real Estate Show. Yes. It's, it's all branded the same. And there's contact forms on our website and properties. And, you know, we're very easy to find. So um, all you got to do is go to highreturnrealestate.com and you can find us and see what we're up to and feel free to reach out to us. We, by the way, don't ever sell properties to anybody that we have not talked to directly. So although you can look and peck around on the site and see what's up, uh, like you said earlier, we are looking to form relationships with our investors. So good. Which also means if you're listening to this podcast via Facebook and you're interested in buying real estate with high return real estate, you need to go talk to them directly. If you are listening to the podcast or reading the blog, you need to make sure that you go talk to them directly. So um, that was a really great um, cap on the end. And I wish we could talk to you guys much longer. I'm sorry to be having to cut this short, but I do want to make you make sure that we say thank you to you, Shecky and Jack for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, just your experience as you've let life be your teacher and uh, just the value that you guys bring to investors and to the marketplace of people who are looking for places to rent as well in, in that area. So um, thank you so much. I think that somebody coming into real estate would have a much clearer idea of really what mindset they need to have and what steps they need to take to launch into real estate for the first time. And hopefully you've got some great nuggets. Even if you are a seasoned veteran investor, I think stay in your lane. Jack was just profound, even at the very end. If you are not the professional investor, then let the professional investors do their work and make sure that you are finding a way to invest by cutting short that learning curve. So um, we want to go ahead and let you know that we will have the show notes posted on themoneyadvantage.com. And in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Thanks, right. guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Fantastic. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate 
or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.